Hello, welcome to the October Respiratory Care Podcast. This month's Editor's Choice compares interfaces used during non-invasive respiratory support of premature infants. Drescher and Hughes report that the use of a nasal cannula with high-flow oxygen, CPAP, and non-invasive ventilation compared to a historical control using traditional nasal CPAP interfaces using those same non-invasive respiratory support systems resulted in improved outcomes. The design of this study in variable non-invasive respiratory support devices, however, prevents signaling out the cannula as the sole factor in these changes. Importantly, the use of the cannula was associated with reduced days on respiratory support and duration of oxygen therapy, but also an increased risk of retinopathy of prematurity. Hoffman's editorial cautions the off-label use of non-invasive interfaces and the importance of nasal CPAP as the current standard of care. Also, Hoffman encourages careful collection of data during evaluations of new technology. Becker and Vargas evaluated websites of associate degree respiratory therapy programs in light of the initiative supporting a bachelor's degree for entry into the workforce. They found that fewer than half of the websites had any content related to bachelor degrees and only a third included matriculation agreements. Strickland contributes an accompanying editorial which describes the importance of the bachelor's degree as an entry level to the respiratory therapy profession. She highlights the value of educating students on the degree completion process and providing guidance towards the degree advancement program. Mechanical insufflation exufflation has become a standard of care for neuromuscular disease and has become more commonly used in invasively ventilated patients. The success of secretion removal is multifactorial, but expiratory flow bias may be a key factor. Volpe and others describe a bench experiment with mechanical insufflation exufflation, demonstrating that an optimized maneuver with an expiratory flow bias resulted in greater displacement of simulated mucus. In the accompanying editorial, Burl et al. detail the importance of optimizing the maneuver to ascertain the value of mechanical insufflation exufflation in clinical medicine. They describe the importance of flow bias and how high inspiratory flow may not only force secretions deeper into the lung, but could cause lung injury. Oliveria and co-workers described methods for assessing respiratory muscle weakness in subjects with neuromuscular disease. They found that portable measures of maximal inspiratory and expiratory pressures and the sniff test correlated well with laboratory measurements. They suggest that this is a practical and accurate method for measuring respiratory muscle strength. Silva and others also addressed the measurement of inspiratory muscle strength. They study a new system for evaluating maximal inspiratory pressure and the influence of muscle warm-up on the measured value. They concluded that eight maneuvers were necessary to reach maximal and reliable values, and that inspiratory muscle warm-up improved subject performance. Respiratory care education and practice in the United States has helped shape practice around the world. Lee and colleagues report the results of a nationwide survey on education and practice of respiratory therapy in China. Among their findings include that a third of therapists graduated with a bachelor's degree compared to a quarter graduating from a two-year program. Nurses with on-the-job training also provided respiratory care. They conclude that the absence of licensure and failure to recognize the value of respiratory therapy were two major obstacles in development of the respiratory care profession in China. Camillo and Massimoni evaluated mechanical ventilation safety incidents in both the intensive care unit and general ward using data from a Japanese database. They identified over 250 adverse events, nearly 10% of which resulted in death. Human factors and insufficient knowledge base were the most common causes of error. Together with the previous paper, training of skilled respiratory therapists to be, appears to be a current need worldwide.
Lung protection often requires small tidal volumes delivered by full-featured adult ventilators. Morrow et al. described the accuracy of tidal volume delivered by several ventilators in the presence and absence of humidity. In this systematic bench study, they reported that ventilators under-delivered tidal volume by 7 to 9% at these low tidal volumes and that absolute humidity increased linearly with the tidal volume. Daikin et al. evaluated 61 subjects undergoing coronary artery bypass grafting using the stop-bang questionnaire as part of a perioperative assessment. This group of subjects did not have any formal polysomnography. They reported that the stop-bang questionnaire may predict obstructive sleep apnea risk and related pulmonary complications in cabbage patients who have not had polysomnography due to other limitations. Corbellini et al. evaluated changes in diaphragmatic mobility in COPD subjects before and after inpatient pulmonary rehabilitation. Using M-mode ultrasonography, they reported that the diaphragmatic mobility loss was common in subjects with moderate to very severe COPD and that those changes were correlated with COPD severity. Diaphragmatic mobility loss after inpatient pulmonary um, rehabilitation improved. A report from Australia evaluates resilience factors as they relate to health-related quality of life in subjects with COPD. Cannon and co-workers reported that resilience and confounding factors were of importance in COPD subjects' health-related quality of life. They recommend consultation at discharge with a professional who identifies, encourages, and approves of the patient's manage disease management abilities. Ricardo and others described the results of an email survey regarding methods of ventilation during cardiopulmonary resuscitation. This international survey demonstrated that caregivers observe heterogeneous practice regarding the, the combination of assisted ventilation and chest compressions during CPR. These practices were significantly different from international CPR guidelines. Pleasance and co-workers contribute a systematic review of nebulized corticosteroids for COPD exacerbation. Using data from nine trials in their meta-analysis, they conclude that nebulized high-dose budesonide is an acceptable alternative to systemic corticosteroids in non-critically ill hospitalized subjects with COPD exacerbations. We also contributed an editorial regarding the changes to the open forum and publication of abstracts from the AARC Congress. We believe that the move to online publication of abstracts will allow them to be more easily searchable and accessible worldwide. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.